Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Parklawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Parklawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. We are in a powerful, awesome series this month. Glory to God. Woo. The emotionally healthy woman. I know our men of God are blessed that we're getting our minds together. <laughs> I know our parents are encouraged that we finally taking our lives back. We're going to continue in that vein today. We have an additional three fabulous women of God that are very triumphant on this day. So far, we have talked about and released how no longer to fear what other people think about us. We quit blaming. We quit denying anger, sadness, and fear. We quit dying to the wrong things. We quit over-functioning. On today, these powerful women of God will help us quit lying, quit faulty thinking, and quit living somebody else's life. First up, Sister Sharon Butler. She's the daughter of Pastor Ulysses Brewer and Evangelist Margaret Adams. Sharon has been married 22 years to her gift from God, Mr. David A. Butler, and she is a mother of three children and one son-in-law. Sharon was saved and filled with the holy fire of God, the Holy Ghost, as a young child. She and her family have been members of Parkland Assembly, Assembly of God since 2015. Her work profession is in compu computer I'm sorry, science. However, her life work is servant leadership. Here today to teach us to quit lying, Sister Sharon Butler. Good morning, Parkland. <laughs> Quit lying. This talk today is for both women as well as men. So let's get started. Do you remember the Disney movie Pinocchio? <laughs> it's a story about a boy 
whose nose grows only when he lies. Let's put ourselves in Pinocchio's shoes and imagine if God treated us like Pinocchio and whenever we told a lie, our nose would grow. The lesson of the story of Pinocchio is not to lie. No matter the size of the lie, a lie is always a lie. So why do we lie? We all have lied for various reasons or another. We have lied to God, to ourselves, and to others. My talk today is entitled, Quit Lying and Choose Truth. Lying to God. Do you identify yourself with some of these examples? We lie to God when we make promises to him that we full well know we're not going to keep. God, if you get me out of this bad situation, I promise I will go to church and give my life to you today. Have you heard yourself say that? God, please give me this new promotion and opportunity, and if you do, I'll do right by you. God, if you allow me to get this loan for this house, uh, I will never miss a paying my tithes and my offering. One of the most impactful biblical stories about lying is to God is the story about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, 1 through 10. Let's go there. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has fueled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept part of the money for yourself that you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you comprise to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the, of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they would carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. We lie and make promises to God as if he is not God, as if he is not all-knowing. There is a song that says, have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your troubles. He'll hear your faintest cry, and he'll answer by and by. Jerry says in the book that, Many people, when praying, actually lie to God. They only share with him what they think he wants to hear. Women and men, when you pray, be honest with God. Tell him your struggles. Tell him what you're angry about and what you're frustrated and disappointed and ashamed about. Don't tell him what you think he wants to hear, but tell him the truth. Because guess what? He already knows. Lying to others. Do you find yourself in any of these scenarios? 
You lie when it seems it's easier to spin a few facts to a client rather than possibly lose the contract. You lie when it is obvious by your body language that something is wrong with you, but instead you say, I'm good, I'm fine, when the truth is, you're not. You lie when you greet someone with a hug and a kiss and a big smile, and the truth is, you don't even like that person. You say, I can't come, I'm too busy, when the truth is, you would prefer not to even go to the event at all. We lying, y'all. <laughs> we lie for various reasons, whether it is for convenience or whether it's for anger or fear. Lying is so much a part of the world in politics, <laughs> business, marriage, dating, income tax returns, and job applications, advertisement, family, friends, workplace at school, Facebook. We shouldn't be surprised that lying is a part and present in the Christian community. Jerry, the author, during her early years, she did say that she lied many times. She lied about how miserable she was at the fast pace of her life. She lied about how angry she was about feeling like a single parent. She lied about feelings of resentment, about working with difficult people in the church. Every time you lie, whether it is by manipulation or by deception or outright misrepresenting something, because we do that, we're twisted, your nose may not grow, but your integrity suffers just by one little lie. We lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves when we say, that nothing is wrong with us and when, something, when one of our co-workers do something to us and you want to confront them, we lie about saying that I'm, I'm good. We lie to others when we say, that, say yes to a dinner date to our, or a dinner meeting with our boss and instead the truth is, is that you have a family commitment. Women, what about when we lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves about taking on so much, the job and the children and the church and household responsibilities? We lie by saying, I can do it all. When the truth is, you are exhausted, you are miserable, and you need to ask for help. I lied to myself, mostly. In my younger days, and my desire to be a strong, confident, and independent woman, I lied to myself about how much I needed my dad. I'm going to keep it together. You see, my dad left at the age of eight, and as a young, independent woman, I thought I didn't need a man to do anything for me. Before my dad left the house, uh, we had a very close relationship. I remember hanging out at the grocery stores with him and, and his friend Melvin. He probably don't remember I know his name. I remember the motorcycle rides that he gave me. And um, as I grew up, I determined that I didn't need a man to do anything for me. I didn't need his money. I had my own. I didn't need his car. I had my own. I even changed my own oil, y'all. Y'all know back in the day you can change your oil? I changed my own oil in my car. I even opened up the carburetor when the car, when the, with the stick, y'all know about that, when the car didn't start, and I tried to keep it from flooding. I did that. At that time, my father was the example that I used for all men. He wasn't there, so I didn't need him or any other man. 
but I lied. I lied as I longed for the true relationship with my dad. I lied as I longed for his hugs and his kisses that he gave. I lied as I longed for his guidance and his security and his protection. I lied as I longed for his love. Visibly, my mom was very strong, and the best gift that she gave me and my sisters who are in, my, in the audience today, some of them, was that she never said an ill word about my dad. She never talked down about him. I don't share this to embarrass anybody, as this is a very difficult topic for me. But I share this is because I am not alone. The statistics shows that 60% of African-American children under the age of 18 live in a household without their father. So it is very important, women and men, that if you find yourself in this situation, please do not poison your children or the future possibilities of them building a relationship by talking bad or saying negative words or lying about their father or their mother. I continued lying to myself for a very long time and I was bitter and I was mad and I was angry, but that eight-year-old child inside of me still loved him so much. Women, no matter your social or economic or spiritual background, or whether you're rich or poor or independent or not, if you long for an authentic relationship with your dad or your mom, your spouse, your sister, your brother, quit lying to yourself and choose truth. In the book, The, Econ the Emotionally Healthy Woman, Jerry says, the degree to which we live in truth is the degree to which we are free. Amen. Can everybody repeat that after me? Or on the slide. The degree to which we live in truth is the degree to which we are free. God's plan from the beginning has been for us to live in truth. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you would know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 31 and 32. About four years ago, I had a panic attack, and I thought that the relationship that I was building with my dad was going to be threatened, and that's when I stopped lying to myself. I needed to be honest and be truthful with my dad and express my fears and my feelings. And so one day I had a meeting with him, and we went to lunch, and my dad and I had a good uh, conversation and through tears and tissue, we were able to continue to live in truth and ex experience freedom in our issues. And now our relationship is flourishing and getting stronger. I am now no longer lying to myself and I am living in truth and I am free to live in a growing relationship with my dad. In closing, Jerry encourages us to practice speaking the truth respectfully, honestly, clearly, and timely. Respectfully, describe carefully what you want to say. Be polite, not insulting, taking the other person's feelings into account. Honestly, say what you truly think and feel. Don't lie or fudge the truth. Clearly, 
Don't beat around the bush and drop hints or avoid the truth. And lastly, timely. Pick a time that would be beneficial to each of you to speak clearly and listen. Not when they're tired and not when they're distracted and not when they're tense. Be free to choose truth and quit lying to yourself, to others, and to God. God bless you. Amen. Next, we have our dear sister, Marveline Flynn. Amen. Marveline works as a social worker in the greater Milwaukee area. She is currently working towards her master's degree in social work at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. She serves as a, as a young adult ministry leader at Parkline with Linked Generation. She, she enjoys traveling and spending time with her husband, Elder Ken Juan Flynn. Marveline's topic today, quit faulty thinking. Marveline. Um, before I start, I'm going to be, um, just got to be transparent with y'all real quick. So, um, I am an introvert, um, socially awkward. I don't like talking in front of people. I like to talk in small groups. So when Priscilla first asked me to do this, I'm like, girl, no. I was like, I am an introvert and I don't like talking in front of people. She was like, oh, just, I'm gonna give you some time, just pray about it. I'm like, okay, I'm already in my head, like, it's canceled. I already didn't have to pray about it. So um, I did actually pray about it, and the Lord just, um, you know, reminded me that it's not about me and that I want you to go tell my people what I brought you through and what you've been through. So the Lord had gave me a scripture, which was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm here today. <laughs> so um, what is faulty thinking? Faulty thinking is when we believe there's something to be true when it's false. I know I don't have to ask a lot of people in the crowd who experienced faulty thinking because I know some of us have experienced whether that was for ourselves or others. In the book, Jerry states that at the very least, wrong beliefs severely limit our ability to experience life and move forward into the future as God intended. At worst, faulty thinking destroys lives and civilization. I interpret that as that this way of thinking destroy can this way of thinking can cause us to destroy the plans that God has in store for us. She described three types of faulty thinking. One was all or nothing thinking exaggerates our circumstances and uses words like all, always, all, everybody, or never. And for me, that was always in my vocabulary. Two, taking things personally causes us to take offense, responsibility, or the blame before we can have all the facts. Three, thinking things will never change, making us believe that the past 
will never will will cause us not to determine the future. So I'm just gonna work you through my journey. My husband and I, we both attended UWM. At the beginning of the semester, I was full of excitement and prepared to start my journey in college. My first semester in college, I dealt with a lot of faulty thinking. In college, you know, they require you to complete two semesters of English um, before you can um, advance into your core classes. For those who don't know me, I have always struggled with writing papers. It would, for me, it would take me hours to write a simple paper, and I mean hours to write a simple paper. Due to my struggles and papers, I began to struggle in my other courses, causing me to make statements like, I can't do this, you're not smart enough, why bother, even began to be intimidated by my peers in the class. I started to believe that they were talking about me when I would answer questions when the teacher would ask us to respond to her. Um, I had this idea that everyone was smarter than me, and why am I even here? I continued this faulty thinking deep into the semester. I remember nights giving up on papers, going into my rooms with the lights off, laying on the floor crying like, I can't do this, feeling sorry for myself. My husband would come into the room like, get up, what are you doing? You need to stop seeing this like this. You can do this. And my response would be, leave me alone and get out. <laughs> When Kim Wan would do this, I would take it personally, like he doesn't know what I was going through, yet in fact he did know what I was going through because he was a college student himself. There was times that I thought that this was something bigger than me and I would never get over it. Faulty thinking continued. The faulty thinking continued. I took it as, as far as staging going to school. <laughs> for approximately two, two months in the second semester, I would get ready for school, travel to UWM on the parking lot with Kenwan and pretend to go to school. When in fact, <laughs> when in fact, I was getting back on the bus and traveling back home, <laughs> thinking I was living my best life. I was able to pass this on for some time by showing up every day to my on-campus job. And for some of y'all that don't know, like if you work at UWM, like you have to be a college student to work on campus. So <laughs> I was able to fake it until I make it. <laughs> I knew I would have to eventually tell Kim why I was no longer attending school due to the fact soon we'll be comparing our final grades for the semester. After I finally told Kenwan, I took a break for approximately um, two years. During that time, I deal with a lot of faulty thinking. I started to believe I was a loser, comparing myself to friends who were preparing to graduate, like this should be me, and continuously stated to Kenwan, you are smarter than me, and you're going to be the breadwinner for our family because I'm not going back to school. <laughs> During this time in my life, I was still growing spiritually, and I didn't know how exactly to deal with faulty thinking. I eventually decided to return to school, but this time around, I enrolled in MATC. I just knew things were going to be different this time. However, I slipped back into my old ways. But this time around, Kim Wan was writing whole papers for me for a straight semester because I believe I was still incapable of writing papers. I eventually came to the conclusion that I was looking for a change of environment when in fact, the, when in fact the change that needed to take place was going to start in my mind. 
During my time at MATC, I began to experience a shift in my life. I remember attending Pastor Mary's life group, and the ladies were sharing their story, and I could easily relate, yet I never shared due to, my, due to me thinking they would never understand my struggle because I was too young. Yet another fault, faulty thinking. As I attended um, the life group, I connected closely with Ms. Charlotte Greer, she would continue to encourage me like, you got this, you would never, um, God would never give you more than you can bear, the, the enemy will continue to feed you negative thoughts, but you have to continue to stand on his word and know what he promised you and what he has told you. And I just want to say shout out to Sister Charlotte because she doesn't know, like I was experiencing depression during that time when I was going to school and her just sending me those scriptures and telling me just to get in those words and, you know, continue to just feed on that and just meditate on those scriptures. So I really do appreciate that. And so I just thankful for God sending other strong women to show me who he said I was. And if you have the gift of encouraging individuals, please do, because I know it helped me and it will be a blessing to others. During my journey, I deal with a lot of faulty thinking. Until I read this book, I never viewed my faulty thinking in these three ways. I would say that I identify strongly with the all or nothing thinking. The author uses biblical character Jacob suffering from a classic case of all or nothing where he cries out, Joseph is no more, Simon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin? Every, everything is against me, Genesis 42, 36. This is a great example of how things were going, how things were happening in Jacob's life, but this caused him to develop an all or nothing thinking. This is true, for, for example, um, every time we would have car problems, I felt like the Lord aban completely abandoned us. I began to discredit all the things that the Lord had done for us and be began focusing my attention on the minor things and shifting my way of thinking. We must, remember that one, we must remember that one negative event or failure should not dictate our way of thinking and how we, how we see God growing, moving in our lives. We should always trust God and know that he will help us achieve anything we desire to achieve and how God can easily turn around our situation. The author provides us with three ways of bursting through the walls of faulty thinking. And this way I interpret it how she said it, I mean how I believe that she meant, but if you read it, you will interpret it a different way maybe. So number one was no one to stop, no one not to follow your feelings. We are to understand our feelings, but not to be led by our feelings. Two, stop mind reading. Allow people to reveal to you what they want to reveal to you, and let that be enough, and trust that God is still in control. Three, do something different. Today is an example of doing something different. If it was up to me, I would not be up here. Our future is on the other side. Our future is on the other side of our fear. Never allow faulty thinking to limit you because your life contains so much value that God desires for you to reach. So I just have a closing prayer. I don't know if somebody um, just deals with faulty thinking or is wrestling with that right now. And they have this in the workbook, and I think that this will be a good thing for you to just meditate on. And it's saying, Jesus, show each of us where we are engaged in faulty thinking. Help us to live in what is true, to quit making assumptions, and to, to not take things personally. And fill us with the Holy Spirit power to align our thinking with the truth. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Get your mind right. Shout out to life groups. If you're not in one, get connected. Pastor Sonia English. Woo! Bringing us home today. Pastor Sonia English is currently on staff here at Park Run. She is a passionate, I'm sorry, she is passionate in developing individuals and realizing their calling and purpose. Her roles include overseeing some Bible college located here at Parkline, as well as overseeing the worship arts ministry along with her husband, Pastor Jay English. She has a bachelor's degree in communication and a certificate in conflict mediation earned from UW Parkside. She is the mother of a beautiful one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Naomi, and a proud wife of six years to Pastor Jay English, bringing us home with quit living somebody else's life, Pastor Sonia English. Praise God. Well, I am so excited to be here with you all today. So excited. And first off, I just want to thank Bishop Harvey and Lady Judy um, just for the opportunity to come here and to share with you all today. I also want to thank my handsome husband, Pastor Jay English, for always encouraging me. Hey. <laughs> always encouraging me and always challenging me to be my best self and to take my limits off. Thus, I am here today. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna first off just tell you all a little bit about myself. Um, growing up, um, I had three other siblings. There were four of us total. Um, I had two older siblings and I had one younger sibling. Now, my older siblings were 12 and 13 or are 12 and 13 years older than I am. So my parents pretty much had two completely different generations of children. So I'm kind of like, the older of the younger two. Um, but growing up as a child, I was a PK. And if you don't know what a PK is, it's a pastor's kid. My, my dad became a pastor when I was eight years old and is still a pastor to this day out in Zion, Illinois. So growing up, um, PKs go typically go in one of two different directions. Now, this is a Take it with a grain of salt. This is an 80-20 principle. So 80% probably applies to 20%. It probably doesn't. So PKs typically go in two directions. They go either, I am not a fan of church. I am forced to be here. I don't want to be here. My parents are here. But I'd rather be anywhere else doing anything else. And I'm going to prove myself that I am going to live my own life. Okay. So you've got that kind of PK. And then you've got the other kind of PK that wants to fit into the mold, that wants to um, elevate her, their parents and just do the right thing um, and try to be good enough. And that was me. 
That second illustration was me. I was the person that always tried to be good enough. Um, growing up, I really didn't go through a huge rebellious stage. I rarely did a whole lot of things to shake the ground underneath me. I didn't push back. I never questioned my parents or their authority. I was often obedient and submissive, not very vocal. I was very shy as a child and a teenager. I cared deeply for others. In fact, I became so deeply intertwined in what other people needed that I found that I never acknowledged or recognized my own needs. See, growing up in a Hispanic household, um, I don't know how much you all know about Hispanic households, but we kind of have this clan mentality. We do everything together. Like, I grew up, you know, even the difference between Pastor Jay and I grew up, we all came together, sat and ate dinner to together. That's great. But we did everything together. We went on vacations all together. That's great, too. Um, but any decision that was made, if it was like, okay, we're having a holidays at the house, okay, everybody's at the dinner table together, and then when somebody decides they're going to go watch TV, everybody gets up <laughs> and goes to the living room, watches TV together. Oh, YouTube videos. Okay, everybody goes to the library. We're all going to watch YouTube videos. So that's just a little bit about us. So... What happens is that what daddy says or what somebody says, everybody does. This is just everybody gets in line and you fall right into place. That's a little bit more about me and my history. And oftentimes, this kind of thinking that was so instilled in me because I didn't want to rock the boat, oftentimes, I ended up getting the short end of the stick most of the time because I sucked it up. I always said, hey, I'm okay. I don't have all the emotional needs that so-and-so has. They've been through so much. Or they just really need me right now. Who else is gonna help them? Or, you know, I, I didn't really say this just some of the time. I said these excuses for other people all of the time. For every person that I came across, that had a need or that asked for a favor or that seemed even slightly sad, I felt that it was my responsibility to help them. If it was within my power, I was going to make a difference. I, find my, I found myself running, doing, bending backwards, inconveniencing myself on multiple occasions to the point that I stayed so busy doing for others that I completely lost myself. In fact, I don't know if I ever found myself. I was 25 years old, 24 years old, graduated from college, still unsure of who I was, where I was going, what my goals were. On the outside, very put together. Had lots of friends, always came over to my place. We hung out and kicked it at my spot. I had a degree. I absolutely loved Jesus. But on the inside, I was approaching 30, getting ready to get married, still over-functioning, people-pleasing, and living everyone else's life but my own. 
So now that's just a little bit about me, what I want to share with you. And maybe some of you do say, hey, I can relate to some of the things that you just listed, to some of the aspects about your own life. I want to share with you four ways to free yourself towards finding your authentic self. How can we find who we really are and stop living someone else's life and what they want us to be? So the first thing that the author Jerry shares is how to discover your integrity. Well, in this book, she describes integrity as being where our values lie. What is important to you? And oftentimes, our integrity gets questioned. We get approached or asked and say, hey, can you do this for me or can you do that for me? Or in fact, you know, um, I'm going out to the bar tonight and I need, I need just a sober driver for me. Can you come with me? These are where, then I have to ask, and I had those questions in college. I had to ask myself, where does my integrity lie? Do I want to be there, even though my standards say, not the best place for you? Well, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to participate, this and that. But I had to really be honest with myself. Am I going to bend over backwards, lose my integrity, and help a friend? Or am I going to make a different decision and say, hey, you are your own person. If this is what you want to do, this is your decision. I'm not recommending it, but if this is your decision, then as an adult, as a young person, that's what you get to do. I, uh, you know, I often found myself in those situations, so I had to prioritize, and that's what we have to do. We have to prioritize where our integrity lies. Sometimes our, integrities, our integrity doesn't just require us to say no. Sometimes our integrity requires us to, in fact, say yes. Sometimes our integrity requires that we push ourselves just a little bit further. Sometimes our integrity says, hey, I need to go to school. I need to go to class even though I don't feel good enough and I don't feel competent enough. My integrity says I need a degree. This is my goal. So I have to make the sacrifices and push through to live up to the standards of what my integrity actually is calling me to do. If we stop to consider where our integrity lies, then other people's fears expectations and agendas can cloud our decisions. If we're not able to distinguish where our priorities and our integrities lie, other people will make those decisions for us. That's the truth, come on now. That's the truth, because I know that's the truth because that was me. That was me. The second point is listen to your inner rhythm. Now this sounds like super to me when I first, your inner rhythm, like, that sounds like some of that new age stuff. <laughs> I'm not really into the new age stuff. The inner rhythm. So the inner rhythm is calling us to look at how God created us. 
So if you look at the world, if you look at the way God created the earth, we have seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter. There's a rhythm to that. If you look at the day, there's the sunrise, there's noontime, sunset, and then there's evening and nighttime. There are all these rhythms that God has preordained and said, this is the rhythm, this is the way that I want the earth, that I want you to function. So we have to actually stop and pay attention to the rhythms that are within us. So we need to pay attention to the rhythms of our body. We need to pay attention to the rhythms of our spiritual needs. And we need to stop and pay attention to the rhythms of what the Holy Spirit is telling us. Jerry didn't put that in the book, but I'm adding that one because I think, you know, just to add additional balance to that. So if we are not paying attention to those rhythms, we can lose our joy because we're doing stuff that we're supposed to be resting in the evening, but we're working late at night. We're supposed to be working and operating during the day, but we close the curtains shut the blinds, and lay in the bed. That is most of the time opposite of the rhythm that God has created for you to be in. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody is different. Everybody has different rhythms. Some people, I know most of us probably have one family member, if it's not yourself, that loves to have people over. Open door policy. Always cooking, always food in the fridge. People can come in and go as they please, and they're always throwing big parties and big bashes, and that's great. Praise God for them. That's not me. <laughs> I get stressed out. Like, I'm in the kitchen scrubbing. I'm on the floors in the bathroom scrubbing. I'm cleaning everything. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. Do I have enough food? I need to go to the grocery store. I'm over here freaking out, okay? And, I mean, we have people over at the house every so often. But at the same time, that's not something that makes me, whoa, I can't wait, yeah. You know, for some people who are extroverts, that is what re-energizes them. Seeing people, being with people, and that is what they're, how they're able to grow and function. For others, it's like, hey, I've got my people time, but I, need, I might need this much people time, but I might need this much me time and family time. We need to pay attention to our rhythm. What is your rhythm telling you? What is your body telling you? Spiritual needs, we need to pay attention to, even as we align ourselves with the rhythm of our bodies, we also need to align ourselves with when we're spending time with the Lord. When is it most effective? There's no magical solution. I know Pastor Mary, she would wake up at four. She told us she'd wake up at four in the morning, 3.30, four in the morning, the Holy Spirit, wake her up. She start praying, interceding, getting in her word, and praise God. Yes, 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 that's a blessing. But that is not everybody's rhythm. And just because that is not your rhythm does not mean you are less saved than somebody else. Or that somebody else is more saved than you are. Get your time in the word in. 
Spend your time with the Lord. Spend your time in prayer. Stop and listen to the Holy Spirit because he will instruct you even on how to correct yourself. And maybe I have to change the dial just a little bit. Maybe I need to change the temperature just a little bit more. So pay attention to your inner rhythm. Psalm 91.1 says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So if we're spending time with the Lord, we're taking shelter. That's Psalm 91.1. In him, we can rest under his shadow. Just a good reminder for us. The third point is to set boundaries. This one makes me excited because I have learned, I have learned some very big lessons, big lessons, hard lessons in how to set boundaries. This is part of, it makes me excited, but it's also part of one of the most difficult things for me to do because I am such a people pleaser. My heart bleeds for people. I wanna give them just one more chance. And I don't care if I inconvenience myself. It doesn't matter if I'm getting beat up emotionally or spiritually. I can take it, but that's not okay. We need to learn how to set boundaries. People will always want to ask for more. If you're willing to give it, they'll ask for it. And honestly, I can't blame other people for that. Because if I say yes, that's my fault. I need to set boundaries. If so-and-so asks me, hey, my child is doing a fundraiser. Can you come and help volunteer? We need some volunteers. And I say yes. Thank you. I love you. You're the awesomest. You're the best. I love you. I owe you one coffee tomorrow. Okay. Yay. Okay, so now they love me. And somebody else comes up to me and says, hey, um, I need help creating a program because we're having an event and I just need some help with somebody creating the flyer and creating the program. Well, I know I can do it. I know I have the ability to do it. I could make the time to do it. And I say, sure, I can help you. Yeah, I can do that. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You don't even know how much that's helped me. Okay. And then it just keeps repeating and going on and on and building and building. And the more you say yes, the more stressed out you get. You're not setting boundaries. We are not setting clear boundaries for ourselves. And I can't blame the other people. This person doesn't know what this person asked me, and that person doesn't understand what the other person just requested of me. It's not their fault. I have to stop and look in the mirror on that one and say, hey, I need to set some boundaries. I have to ask myself these questions. One, is God tugging on me to do this? Is this a God opportunity? Is this something that God will be glorified in, and something that will lead me towards my integrity. Why am I doing this? For whom am I doing this? These are all things that can help us gain some clarity on what we should and should not be participating in. 
Doing more does not equate to loving more. I'm going to say that again. Doing more does not equate to loving more. We have to stop and tell ourselves, just because I'm doing all of these things or because I'm doing all of these things, I say yes to this, yes to that, yes to that. What am I saying no to? What am I saying no to now? Now I might be saying no to spending time with my family, with my husband, or with my child. I might be saying no to getting the good grades that I need in school because now I'm too busy to keep up with my homework. I might be saying no to a series of things that actually it lies within our integrity that we need to prioritize. So make sure we, to set boundaries on yourself, ask yourself these questions, Many times we give ourselves problems by overcommitting, and God never intended for that to be. My fourth and final point is to let go of others. Woo! <laughs> I can't slide through this one. Letting go of others can be extremely difficult and challenging. Letting go of others sometimes are the few people that you feel are closest to you, but they're also maybe somewhat abusive emotionally, but you love them, so you're willing to take it. Sometimes letting go of others is for our own good pretty much most of the time, but sometimes it's saying, hey, I need to look in the mirror and I need to stop trying to run your life. Sometimes we're so invested in people that we're so invested in the decisions that they make that when they make a certain decision, it alters our mood and it changes how I feel. That's when we know we've bordered into some unhealthy, imbalanced relationships. And we need to loosen the reins just a little bit or completely let it go. When we find that our emotions and our moods are changed and altered from before we have a conversation to after we have a conversation, or from before we see a post on Facebook or a picture on Snapchat, to after we see a post on Facebook or a picture on Snapchat, and that is affecting us, it's time to loosen the reins and it's time to start letting go. If that means I need to unfollow, I unfollow. If that means I need to unfriend, I unfriend. If that means I need to block, I'll block. Come on. We need to be advocates for our own peace. Let's be advocates for ourselves. Nobody's going to fight for you like you do. Advocate for yourself. It's okay to be just a little bit selfish sometimes. We are instilled growing up to always sacrifice, to love others more than you love yourself. 
that's not necessarily always in the balanced way of thinking. Advocate for your own peace. In closing, I want to remind you all that Jesus disappointed many people. He disappointed his mother. He disappointed his siblings at times. He disappointed his disciples at other times, the crowds and the religious leaders on multiple occasions. However, he did not allow himself to be held hostage by the expectations and the limitations of others. He was not going to let their expectations determine his decisions. He was in tune with the Holy Spirit. Now, what I say is, hey, if I'm in tune with the Holy Spirit and I'm listening to his voice, he's going to speak to me and confirm some things to me. Then I look. Now, this is just me and how I do things. Then I look at my husband. He's a leader of my home. He's my spiritual covering. I look to my husband and I say, and I know this doesn't apply to everyone, but for me in my situation, I say, hey, this is what I'm feeling. This is what God's laid on my heart right now. What do you think? What are you feeling? I, and I get his kind of his thoughts play into it. And if I get the blessing of my pastor, my authority figure, and I'm good with all of them, y'all can kick rocks. I love you. I love you, boo-boo. But you can kick rocks because I know that I am in right standing. I know that I am in right standing. And sometimes there's this level of freedom that you can gain if you can say, hey, I love you, boo-boo, but you can kick some rocks. There's this, this level of freedom that's found in that. So I encourage you all. Does that mean you mistreat people? Absolutely not. Does that mean you abuse other people? Absolutely not. That does not equate to that. That just means I can let go. That's all that means. That just means letting go. That can be done gently, and it doesn't need to be done harshly. I oftentimes looked at women. I use examples. I just met some women here at Park Lawn over the last five years since I've been here. Strong, independent, free-minded women like Teresa. I look at Sharon. I look at Lady Judy. Like, I always, growing up, I saw women like that. I want to be more like that. I want to be more like them. If I could just be my own person and be independent and, and not need approval from others, guess what? That comes with a price. That comes with a cost. There's a process for that. You don't just wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm a balanced individual. That does not happen. You don't just wake up and say, I'm a balanced person. I'm perfect. And if you're making other people feel like that, then that's wrong of you. Because none of us are. This is all through process. This is through trial and error. This is through victories and defeats. This is how we learn how to gain our balance. So I encourage you all, take the limits off. Start living your own life. It is time to let go 
It's time to let go of the stigmas. It's time to let go of the expectations. It's time to let go of the people. It's time to leave the darkness and step into the light. It's time to leave the lies and step into truth. It's time to let those shackles go. Let those fall off of you. It's time to let go of the hate. Step into love. Let go of the fear. Step into your joy and your peace. It's time to be free from the blindness that is in front of you. John 9, I'm going to skip down to verse 15. It says, therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. So this is the, this is the story of the blind man that Jesus healed. It says, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied. And I washed, and now I see. I encourage all of you, both men and women, I know this says emotionally healthy women, but there's so much to learn in these books. There's so much time of reflection that we can do, so much growth to be had, so many things to think about and ponder. I know Marveline said she learned so much from these books. I did as well. All of us who really took the time to dive into this stepped away just a little bit healthier. So I encourage you all, spend that time, buy the book, and God bless you. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.